Come on, go church family. You feel good today? Make some noise. Come on, one more time. You got it. Come on now. I love it. It's a good looking group too today. What an honor it is to have you at our second gathering here at Go Church. And I love all of you so much. And what a, what a privilege it is, really an honor to be your pastor. And thanks for celebrating my 40th birthday. Come on now. Such a blessing. You guys are so great. And uh, just all the texts, the phone calls, the emails, the cards, you, you all have been so incredibly kind. And uh, thanks for letting me grow old with you. So that really is just a, uh, just a genuine pleasure. And of all the gifts that I get to, to be the pastor of this church is really the greatest honor. So I celebrate you all in my 40th year as much as you're celebrating me today. So I hope you feel that love and what an honor it is to have you here. Many of you know this, but we are one church in two locations. So we've got the wild bunch here at our South Metro Atlanta campus. That's all of you in the broadcast campus. And then this is really cool, 700 miles north of here in the greater Washington, D.C. area is our Germantown, Maryland campus family. Um, what's been unique about this season for that particular campus, they've only been online for six months until today. Come on now. So they're back in person. So make some noise for your Germantown family. You've never even met a lot of them, but show some love to them. And then, of course... We got our awesome online campus. Thanks for tuning in today, wherever you're watching from. We're really glad that we're connected. We got a great online campus staff ready and available for you. And so we, we bless everybody online. And then as a, as a part of my birthday extravaganza, come on, my mom and stepdad showed up unannounced last night. Come on, so mom, I love you. Thanks for having me. Come on. Glad you're here today. Love you both so much. And you all, are, you all are in for a really great treat today. Before we jump into the message, I'm going to give you one save the date. Uh, Vision Sunday happens at Go Church two times a year. We do it in January and then in the fall. This is happening on October the 4th. We're calling this the Back to Church edition, the Back to Church edition. Now, I don't have to say this to all of you because you're in the house today, um, but I, I believe that it's time for us to get back to the house of God. Can you give me an amen right there? I, I get social distancing, I get safe and sanitized environments and buildings and all of that. Uh, we're doing our best to maintain social distancing and we spray this whole building down multiple times throughout the week. In between the first gathering and this gathering, every seat was sanitized, okay? Not just with disinfectant, but with the Holy Spirit. Come on now, so this place is safe. But I think it's time to get back to church. Um, I love our online campus, thank God for that. But internet will never replace intimacy. That'll preach, won't it? So I'm calling everybody back to church. You know, if you can go to Home Depot, you can go to the house of God. Anyway, so uh, Vision Sunday is happening on October the 4th. I'm going to reveal some big things that are happening in the life of Go Church. You don't want to miss it. So make sure you mark your calendar and a few Sundays from today for back to church edition of Vision Sundays. This is cool. Everybody excited about this? Until then, so for the next three Sundays, uh, we're kicking off a brand new series called Break the Cycle. And uh, this, is, this is really a much anticipated series for me. Uh, the Lord dropped this idea of talking about breaking free from addiction and bondage and a lifestyle of stronghold. We're talking about breaking free from generational curse. We're talking about walking a life of freedom. I don't want to get too, too preachy, but I do want to remind you early on here that it is for Christ that he set us free. He wants you to live free. And uh, we're going to talk about this during this whole series and I really believe that today and for the next few Sundays, that if you lean in, you allow the Holy Spirit to speak to you, this is going to be, there are what I call anchor messages that you'll hear in your lifetime. It's those moments that you can mark down as that was an anchor moment in my life where God spoke to my heart. 
Uh, he changed my thinking. He changed my, 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 my living. He changed my habits and my behavior. And I really believe that this Break the Cycle series is just that. Now, I'm going to finish out the series, but today I've invited my brother-in-law, Edward Bailey, to come and share the message with you today. Let me give you a little bit of, of uh, context behind who Edward is beyond just my, my brother-in-law. Um, he's got one of the most powerful prodigal son testimonies that you will ever hear. And I mean that. You're going to hear a part of that today. Edward went from literally a meth addict to a man after God's own heart. And his story of transformation is incredibly powerful. And I think you're really going to be encouraged and blessed today. Now, through his testimony and through God's grace, he serves as the executive director of No Longer Bound which is an incredible program for men, helping them pursue freedom. He's brought a couple of his friends today. I'll introduce them also in just a moment. Edward married way out of his league. Come on now, fellas, married men. You know what I'm talking about? Edward outpunted his coverage. There you go. Married Kimberly's sister, Jennifer. They have two beautiful girls, Farah and Fallon. And uh, he's, just a, he's just a great man of God. You're really going to be encouraged by that. So he's going to come in just a moment. But let's go ahead and show Edward some love. Come on, put your hands together. Let him know you love him. It's going to be a great day. And then he's brought a couple of friends with him. To my, to my left, to your right, uh, this is Aaron and Kenny. Aaron and Kenny uh, have an unlikely friendship, if you will. They both met in the No Longer Bound program. Uh, they fought together in the trenches to overcome addiction and bondage and stronghold. Through that, uh, connecting in the No Longer Bound program, they've become best friends. Uh, they graduated the program earlier this year together. Come on, isn't that awesome? Graduated the program. They, they are now living on the other side of addiction and bondage, which is the good life. It's the life of freedom. Um, they are roommates and also bandmates because through just their relationship with the Lord, they discovered this gift that they have of singing and playing. So they started a band, come on, called uh, River's End. You can find them on Facebook, and they'll do any birthday parties, come on, weddings, you name it. I'm trying to make a few extra dollars here for them. And guys, we're really honored to have you today. Here's what's going to happen. They're, they're going to sing for you a song. After the song, Edward's going to come, and uh, you're really going to be encouraged and blessed by the ministry of these two gentlemen. So come on, can you show them some love? Give them some, some honor. Come on, bless them today. And then when they come, Edward, come on, guys, take it away. It's called Reckless Love. And 
Come on. Grab a seat. Except for JC, you can stand up the whole time. You're, you're 40. I mean, you need to work. Oh, that was amazing. I tell you, you can hear that grit in their voice. You can hear that passion in your voice. Those are men that met each other fighting in the foxhole for their life and their freedom. And that passion comes from that. It's so good to see you all and all of you online. It is an absolute pleasure to be here. I get to serve in one of my roles as the executive director of an organization that leads these guys to freedom, which is totally amazing. Another role is I get to be the husband to the most amazing woman on this planet, a father to two beautiful little girls. And I have this one other role. It's called being the best son-in-law, the favorite son-in-law to Alan and Valerie. It's a tough thing. But it's my cross to bear being the favorite. JC mentioned that uh, I have a prodigal story. You remember that prodigal story? They threw a party for the prodigal son when he came back, and then the brother got jealous. So, you know. Coming to stand on this stage is an absolute miracle. Honestly, standing at all is a miracle, especially having the, pre- the pleasure to kick off this Break the Cycle series. I shouldn't have been here in more ways than one. Prodigal son is maybe an understatement. 
I almost didn't see my 25th birthday. Every bit of my life and my potential and anything that was going to happen good almost ended by the ripe age of 25. I found myself in the darkest places. You ever seen the show Intervention and it's almost too gritty to watch and you kind of turn it because like, whew, that's heavy. That was the life that I was living, dark places. I remember being up for seven days, haven't slept in seven days. My parents find me, they're pulling me out of a dope house. They're doing interventions. There's plywood floors and places and things you never want to see. And for them, you never want to see your son there. But that was the reality of my life. And I woke up one day, and I had been able to quit using drugs and alcohol through high school and through college. I'd go hard, and I'd quit, and I'd go hard, and I'd quit. So I wake up one day, and I'm 24, and it was bad. And I said, I want to quit again. Today, I'm going to stop. I'm going to make a change. I'm going to change my behavior. And so I decided that I was going to do that. I'm going to change my behavior. And on that day, I realized that I could not change it. I was done. I had to admit that day, it wasn't about me letting go of it. It was about it letting go of me. I no longer had control, and I woke up and said, I'm an addict. And that was a scary moment. Terrifying. And on that day, I realized I sat there in an apartment in Gainesville, Georgia, that I was about to get evicted from, and realized, if I look at my life and do the math, I've got one year left to live. That's it. I'm dead at this pace in one year. People around me had been dying. I knew, I knew the outcome. So I decided to go get help. I had to ask for help because I couldn't do it enough. I had tried to change my behavior so many times, and I couldn't do it by myself. And I said, I'm going to go and ask for help. And so I called the night. I found this place called No Longer Bound. And the night before I went, I was standing on my parents' driveway, and I called my friend Travis. He was the last guy that I got high with. I said, hey, man, I'm going to do it. I'm going to go, and I'm going to get help. Like, I want to be free. This is going to kill us. I want to be free. And he goes, dude, I am so proud of you. He's like, I will follow you there. You go, and I'll follow you. And so I go to this place, No Longer Bound. It's a year-long program. And I hear a new man's coming in the program. So I look up the hill, and there's a guy coming down with his bags. Is it Travis? Is it Travis? No. And then another guy comes a few weeks later. Is it Travis? No. And I keep waiting and praying for a year while my life is getting changed. And I finally got to see Travis again. But unfortunately, it was standing over his casket because he died of a drug overdose one year later. I'm standing over this beautiful 23-year-old friend of mine, and I'm thinking, he'll never see 25. His mother will never be the same. He'll never stand in a church and see a bride walk down the aisle and know that he deserves that moment. He'll never know what it feels like to look at a child that looks up and says, Daddy, pick me up. He died a prisoner. And I know all of that seems so intense. And my, what I would tell you is, this is not just an addiction talk. So what does that mean for you? That's a sad story. And it breaks our heart. And we're proud that it didn't take me out too. But for you, what does that mean for you? Because our human nature and our tendency is, is that we kind of tune out. All right, got it. An addiction story. I can get behind this. I understand. Got it. But I'm cool. I don't do heroin. Meth is like, mm, I'm just going to go grab lunch instead of meth. Like, I, I'm going to tune out. It's not very often you use meth in a joke, but. This is not just an addiction talk. This is about all of us, okay? So when you think about addiction, I want you to think about it this way. 
that addiction is an exaggerated case of the human condition. Addiction is just the same as me and you. It's the same thing. They were either just smart enough or dumb enough to find something that really worked at shutting off the feelings that they didn't want to feel. They felt ashamed, and we felt horrible, and they felt terrible about themselves. They feel like an outcast, and they feel unworthy, and they feel insecure, and they feel rejected and abandoned and despised, and they found something that was really effective at making them feel what we need to feel. Because all of us have physical needs. We need to drink water and breathe air and go to Starbucks, and like we've got those needs. And then we've also got emotional needs of love, acceptance, worth, and security, and we will get those needs met. Love, acceptance, worth, and security, or we will die trying. And so an addict just found something that felt a lot like that. It's a counterfeit relationship with a chemical, but it sure did feel a lot like love, acceptance, worth, and security. It made them feel safe. It made them feel good. Don't we understand that? Isn't that just like me and you? Addiction is just an exaggerated case of the human condition. We've all got those things in our life that we want to stop. Things like this. It might not be meth or heroin, but don't we all have something in our lives that we want to be free from and that we've tried to be free from, like over and over and over again? Like how many times Monday are we going to start to eat better? And how many times do we wish we would have started that business, taken that risk, but we were too afraid? And how often do we feel rejected and so we hide ourselves away from relationships? How often do we have a shame, that shame, those things inside of us that nobody knows about? And I want to be free from them, not only be free from them, but free for what they do to me, how they drive my behavior, how it holds me back in life. So don't we all understand that? So don't tune out. The question is, Why? Like, why are we not still free? Why are we not still free? For me, I was so interested in changing my behavior. I I would want to change it. I want to change it. I'd be in that that apartment in Gainesville, Georgia, and going, I really, like, honestly, I wanted to change. And I realized that willpower was not enough. Behavioral modification was not enough. It was coming from a deeper place. It was coming from somewhere else. So check this out. Here's what's happening. Our behaviors are the fruit the thing that we can see on the outside. This is my behavior. This is what you can see me doing. This is what I see myself doing and I don't like. And sometimes it's confusing. The things that I'm doing, I don't even understand why I'm doing them, especially the negative behaviors, the ones that I want to change and be free from. And I'm going, why am I even doing this? I don't even want to be doing this. This makes no logical sense. And we try to change that behavior so much, but what happens is it's coming from a deeper place. Because write this down if you've got a pen. Beliefs drive behaviors. Beliefs drive behaviors. What that means is I felt worthless. I felt disgusting. I felt unworthy. I felt unlovable. I felt like the shame inside of me was my absolute identity. The lies inside of myself felt like they're the truth. And if I feel like a loser, I'll behave like a loser. If I feel like a failure, I'll end up behaving like a failure. And if I feel unworthy of a relationship, think about it. Why do, why do we end up pushing that person away that, that they're so awesome? And we watch it, we're watching ourselves pushing them away or in a fight with them or acting like a 12-year-old. I'm like, why am I doing this? Really, I know it. This, I love this person because I believe in my core belief that I'm unworthy of love. And so whether I like it or not, I'm going to enact that behavior. 
right? So if you step back and survey your life and go, okay, this is my behavior, this is my fruit. My challenge is to take down this tree because I want this behavior to change. I want these things to be the kind of behaviors I want, like freedom. And so if I step back and go, all right, I'm going to pick off all the fruit. I'm going to pick off all the fruit. I'm going, to, I'm going to modify the behavior. I'm going to stop doing that, start doing this. I'm going to change that, and this sounds really going to work. I'm going to pick off all the fruit. I'm going to step back and go, the tree's going to die, right? No. If you want to take that tree down, you've got to take the time and go to the root. Because if we don't change what we believe, changing our behavior is a total waste of time. Beliefs drive behaviors. And so for me, I had to realize, oh, no. In that moment, I was terrified when I said, do I really want to be free? Because I understood intuitively, intuitively I understood what it takes to be free, what it takes to be free. It terrified me because in our soul, in our intuition, in our knowing, we know what it takes. We know what it takes. But the truth about this is, is that the road to freedom is paved in pain. So why aren't we free yet? Because it's scary. And it hurts. You want to talk about the process of digging beneath the surface, exposing those roots, those sensitive areas of trauma and pain and shame and secrets, those things that we just, if, if anybody knew those things about us, what would they do? The road to freedom is paved in pain. And so that is the reason most people will die in their addiction. Most people will die in their, the, the statistics? For Aaron and Kenny, it, is, it was highly unlikely that they'd be sitting here playing music for you because the statistics are so stacked against them. And why? Because it's hard. The road to freedom is paved in pain. It is difficult and it hurts. Anyone who has pursued pain, has, has pursued freedom, has gone through pain. I got another young guy with me. His name is Thatcher. He's in the program here at No Longer Bound. He's joined by his beautiful wife. He's a military veteran. He served in Afghanistan. And so he fought for our freedom so that now we can fight for his freedom. Stand up, man. Come on. Come on. Let's go. Thank you for your service. He was telling me, though, after the military, after, after serving, he came home. Seven of his military buddies have killed themselves. Seven. Why? I get it. Don't you? The road to freedom is paved in pain. Facing the reality of that trauma, that PTSD, and whatever that pulled up from the inside before we ever went to war, before we ever had the trauma, those things that happened when we were young, those secrets that we have, it is so hard to face those. It is so much easier to check out sometimes. People will die in their addiction. Travis knew what it was going to take to get free, my friend. He knew what it was going to take to get free. I did too, and it scared the heck out of me. If it doesn't scare you, you're not really pursuing freedom. True freedom should be terrifying. So is every good adventure in life. It is beautiful. Everything that is free has taken a fight. What do we love about America? What's the one thing we love? It is a crazy melting pot of different beliefs, different politics, different religions. And then there's 2020. The, we're living a meme right now, okay? The only way 2020 could get worse is if it ended with an election, because wouldn't that be crazy? <laughs> this should go good. We're a shook-up Coke can, like, <laughs> election time. 
We have different politics, different thoughts, different beliefs, different values. But the one thing that we all love that everybody will agree on, freedom. We are free in this country. The American dream is I can be what I want. I can do what I want because I'm free to do it. I am free. It was not easy for us to get free. We fought for that freedom. And now we fight to defend it. Jesus, the author and finisher of this idea called freedom, it cost him everything. Ask him if freedom hurts. Ask him what it costs for us to be free. His road to freedom was paved in pain. He was stripped vulnerable, naked, open, exposed. All of the things it takes for us to be truly free. And then we defend it. Check this out. Galatians 5.1.1. It is for freedom that Christ set us free. It is for freedom. Why is it? Why do we want to be free? Because it's awesome. What do we love about America? What do we love? Like so many people. You may not be in addiction and you may not be a military vet facing the kind of PTSD that makes you want to take your own life. But so many people, so many of us are walking around not free. The outside looks fine, but we're not free. Like freedom, like the tragedy is, is that we don't die some abrupt life, but that we live a whole life and never know what true freedom really feels like. What a shame. Why do we want to be free? Because just because freedom is amazing, if it wasn't so good, he wouldn't have given everything for it. It's for freedom that he says free and then stand firm and do not let yourself be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What I got, the freedom that I got, try to come take it. I'll kill you. Come try to mess with America and see what happens. Mess with my kids. If God's standing here, what do you think he'd say about defending me, his boy, and you, his boy, and you, his daughter? Mess with them and see what happens. Stand firm then like a warrior and defend your freedom. Freedom is worth it. So I was in the program. I've been there about 60 days. And I'm laying in bed. I can picture this bed so perfectly. I'm laying in this bed. And when I was in my addiction just 60 days earlier, I was doing really shameful stuff. I mean, stuff that I wouldn't want to admit out loud to anybody. Dark places. Incred- I'm just using the word dark just to be like somewhat, like it's just intense, okay? Just doing things that I was ashamed of. Let's just put it that way. I'd wake up the next day and be like, if I wasn't so high, I wouldn't have done that. I conveniently had drugs to blame it on. Like some of us conveniently have a bad relationship in our life to blame our behavior on. Parents that weren't there for us and we get to blame them for our behavior. Like I had something that was convenient for me to blame my behavior on. So then I wake up that one day and I'm in the program. I've been there for 60 days. And I'm like, all right, my body is sober. My mind is sober. The drugs are gone. And it hit me. I still had that stuff inside me. The shame was there. The thoughts were there. The desire to do the thing. Like all, it was all there. But my body was sober. And I, I had to face this question. Check this question out. How free did I really want to be? How free did I really want to be? So me and Travis, my friend who passed away, we faced with the same decision. We're at a crossroads in our life. Do I want to go save my life? Or is that too scary and I want to go roll the dice? I took one way and he took another. But then I'm at another crossroads. I've left him behind. I'm at another crossroads. Do I want to be just sober? 
Because at the end of the day, I was going to get a round of applause for that. You know, my family would have been proud of me. I would have looked better, been eating food. I would have been, like, not, you know, killing myself, like all those things. But they'd have been like, come on, man, you're sober. Sober's awesome. But it's surface level. Anybody know any miserable sober people? Don't nudge your husband. It's not the right time for that. I'm at this crossroads going, do I want to be just, just sober? Or do I want to be truly free? Because just the sober part, that's the fruit. Addiction is a symptom. It's just a behavior. But systemically, at the core of me and my belief, did I really want to be free of all that? And that was another crossroads in my life. And you may be at that same crossroads today. On the outside, you look pretty good. You're dressed up. You're at church. Killing it. Gorgeous dress. You at home, you're in your pajamas, and that's okay. We're not judging you. But on the outside, we're looking pretty good, right? But on the inside, when I say, when I'm talking about this, that one thing comes to your mind, and you're like, ah, that, yeah, that would hurt. Mm, mm -mm. No, sir, not that thing. How free did I want to be? And in that moment, I decided I wanted to be all the way. If I was going to do this, I was going to do this. I wanted to be free all the way. All the way. In that decision, I knew I was putting my whole, my whole identity at risk. I was going to now face questions that I did not know the answer to about myself and be willing to hear the answer no matter what it was. What is the truth about me? Am I what I think that I am? And be willing to hear the answer to that. I'm going to expose myself and make myself vulnerable in a way that I know is going to crush my soul. But I got to the point where I just said, I want to be all the way free. When I was thinking about preparing this, I thought about this scripture. This is pretty cool. Check it out. You may have heard it before. But it's a story of these 10 lepers. Leprosy is a disease of the skin. Now on his way to Jerusalem, Jesus traveled along the border between Samaria and Galilee, and he was going into a village. Ten men who had leprosy met him. They stood at a distance and called out in a loud voice, Jesus, Master, have pity on us. When he saw them, he said, Go, show yourselves to the priest. And they went. They were cleansed, or I added, cured. One of them, when he saw he was healed, came back, praising God in a loud voice. He threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him, and he was a Samaritan. We're Samaritans. Jesus asked, were not all ten cleansed? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give praise to God except this foreigner? Then he said to him, rise and go. Your faith has made you well. We typically think about this through the lens of gratitude. One of them was grateful, nine of them weren't. But think about it like this. Ten of them had a disease on their skin, the outside, where people could see it. It affected people negatively. At a certain point, they go, you're contagious. That could affect my life. Go to the leper colony. Go hang out with the other addicts because you're negatively affecting our life. The thing on the outside of you is affecting us. It's a disease, a disease. So 10 of them said, we want our disease fixed. We want to be cured. And he goes, that's easy. Got it. Done. You're healed. And they go, whoop, here we go. Sweet. One of them stopped and goes, but wait, that's just my skin. What about all this inside? What about the real me that nobody knows about? Nothing really just changed except for my outside. That was surface level. What about me? I'm in here, the place where nobody knows. That's where the pain is and the questions are and the doubt is. That's where the things I believe about myself are. And he said, I want more. And he turned around and he went and he threw himself at Jesus' feet. 
What do you mean? He surrendered. He surrendered. He threw himself at his feet and surrendered. And you know what? He was a foreigner. So what did he risk? He risked rejection. Get out of here, you disgusting foreigner. You're not my kind. That's what he was risking. And Jesus said, you go, you're made well. Nine were healed, one was made well. He wanted to be more than just sober, just on the outside. And do we want more today? How free do we want to be? Are we satisfied with being a good guy that doesn't run around around on his wife or a great mother to our children? Or like, is that enough? Or do we want to live and know in this life what it truly means to have actual freedom? How free do we want to be? I remember this for me. It was a big one. I had to take a risk. There's a couple, a couple keys to freedom. All right, number one, one key to becoming free is to take a risk. Take a risk. Not like a little one. Not like a buy a lottery ticket kind of risk that doesn't cost you anything. I mean like the kind of risk that puts you in severe danger emotionally. Vulnerability, exposing ourselves, digging those questions up, it takes an insane amount of risk. We take a risk. It's like jumping off of a cliff. It is terrifying because the real us, the real us, we've built fortresses inside of ourselves to protect ourselves. Okay, I've got the you, the Edward that you can see, and then the inner me, the inner child, the real me, the one with the questions and the doubts and the shame and the secrets. And I believe, if I believe that I am worthless, all you have to do is remind me of what I already believe, and it will crush my soul. So to keep you from being able to hurt me, i got to build a wall. I have to build a fortress, protect myself, hide myself inside deep, 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 deep. And there's a fortress in there. And if you come close enough to that fortress, then I'm going to get offensive. I'm going to shoot over the wall. I know what to say to back you off. I know how to hurt you, and I won't let you close. But we wake up one day, and we've been living safe. We've been living in this fort, and we realize this. There isn't really much difference between a fort and a prison. What is the difference between the thing that we built to keep ourselves safe and the thing that now keeps us a prisoner? Think about this. The idea of freedom and taking that risk and jumping into the unknown is terrifying. Being a prisoner is predictable. It is predictable. I may be a prisoner, but I know what's going to happen today. I'm going to get these meals. These guys are going to come check on me. I'm sleeping in this bed. As a matter of fact, these walls, they're kind of my edges. They kind of let me know. They, they, they make me safe, and they feel comfortable and predictable. And I know you think being a prisoner is awful, but I can control this world. This is a predictable world. Living on the outside, no idea. I'm exposed. I'm vulnerable, and it's uncharted water. I have no idea. Why do you think most people that get out of prison go back to prison? Safe, tight, predictable world, wide open, unknown, and they're just vulnerable. It's a revolving door, and we do the same thing. We step out from our prison that we built as a fort and go, whew, never mind. That was, that was scary. The thing that we built to protect ourselves in the end imprisons us. Let me tell you about one time that I took a risk. I was in the program. I had been there for some months now, and I'd make that, de- that decision, laying in that bed, that I wanted to be free. I wanted to be free. And so I'm like, all right, I knew what that meant. When I said, okay, I'm going for freedom, I knew what it meant. And it wasn't going to be pretty because the road to freedom is paved in pain. 
And most of us, to avoid that temporary pain, will stay prisoners because we're not willing to see what's on the other side of that pain. But I decided to go through the pain. And so I realized I've got to dig this stuff up. And I'm standing in front of a room of guys in the program, probably 10 guys, and I'm thinking, it's time to say the most shameful things that I've done out loud to a group of dudes. Stuff you don't say to guys. My heart's beating a million miles an hour, and I'm like, this is what it's going to take? I had decided I was going to do whatever it takes, and whatever it takes is exactly what it takes to be free. A whatever it takes mentality is exactly what it will take to be truly free. And I'm standing in front of one of those forks in the road, and I'm standing in front of these guys, and I'm like, all right, here I go. I'm going to do this. And I stand up and say, my wife's nervous that I'm really going to say what I did. I stand up and say, this is me. This is what I did. This is the most shameful thing I've ever done in my life. And I, and I did it again. These are the people that I hurt. I don't think I was the victim. I think I was the perpetrator. Like, it was, I was not. This is me. Here I am. And then I just sat down. And I thought, well, there we go. I'm still alive. A couple of nods of affirmation, a pat on the shoulder from one of the other guys. And I'm like, all right. That was amazing. After it's over, one of the guys says, hey, I want to talk to you outside. And I'm like, this guy, he's going to give me a pat on the back. So I'm standing there in the hallway with him, and he goes, now that you've said that, you're disgusting. I don't want to be around you. Keep away from me. I believe those things about me because freedom is a process, not an experience. So I was in process still, so I still believe those things about me. So my worst fear just happened. He just said it. Yeah, you're disgusting. Now that I know that about you, I want nothing to do with you. That was the risk I had to take. And I realized in that moment, if that group of 10 guys, if my decisions and behaviors was going to be dictated by what their response was to that, then they controlled me. Not only was I in a prison, but they held the keys, every one of them, because I was terrified of what they would say, what they would do to me. So then I'm not in control of my life. They are. And then a year from now, I'm never going to see these guys again anyway, maybe one or two of them. So that means this crowd of people also controls me. And the next crowd of people controls me. And the only person not in control of my life is me. So I'm standing there in that moment going, that hurt what you just said, but now you don't control me. And today, that man is in actual prison. And I'm standing right here with you today. We both had a fork in the road, and he made his choice, and I made mine. Okay? So number one, you take a risk. Check this out. Second point, second key to freedom is you get yourself a vision. Get yourself a vision. John Hagee said this, you attempt something so great for God that if he doesn't show up, is destined to fail. A vision for your freedom, if you can accomplish it this year, that's just a goal. A vision is nothing more than an endpoint, a destination that we navigate the ship of our lives to. When we don't know where we're going, we're tossed around the sea like we're rudderless. The storms blow us and the tide moves us and we just don't know. We're just coasting through life. But when we set our sights on freedom, this is the life that I want. Then I know in all my decisions, my vision tells me, does this decision get me closer to my vision or distract me from it? 
And there's some pain in between here and there. The road to my freedom is paved in pain. Because I know where I'm going is so good, I'm going to go right through those storms. I'll go right through those pain. Because whatever it takes is exactly what it'll take, and I'm down for it. I show up for it. Let's go. You will not control me. You will not keep me from my vision. There's two times a vision was really important in my life that I really remember the most. The first was I was early in the program, kind of in this process, and they put a piece of paper in front of me, and it was an assignment. And on it, it was blank, but it had a question. It said, what is your picture of the good life? What is your picture of the good life? See, for me, I hadn't really thought anything about a good life. Where I came from and what I did, I pushed everything good away. If you handed me something decent, I'd steal the other thing that you didn't give me. Like I was just, nothing worked out. I was always on the wrong side of a statistic. Everything decent in my life I had thrown away. I could be trusted with nothing. So the idea of what's my picture of the good life, it felt like a fantasy to me. I wasn't going to have a good life in my mind, but I became willing to do whatever it took. And so I said, okay, what they're asking me to do is to dream. They're asking me to write a vision. So I wrote it down. I was like, these are big. I want to be trusted. When you've lost trust, you understand the value of it. Easy to lose, hard to get back. Nobody trusted me. That was a big dream for me. I wanted to be the kind of person that you could trust. And I wasn't that. And then I wrote down, I want to be a husband. I was not husband material. And it was a long journey to be husband material. To be someone that I really think that you would want to share your life with compared to the person I was in that moment, long journey. But it was a big dream of mine. And then right beneath that, I want to be trusted, I want to be a husband, I want to be a father. To be the kind of guy that those children can look up to that shows up for them, that shows up for them and teaches them who they are and gives them love, acceptance, worth, and security. Our parents, your, as parents, we are God to those children in their early years. We're the biggest thing in their life. So we're not only showing them, I'm not only showing them what a man should be, but I am defining for them what God's like. It's a big responsibility that it was a fantasy for me at that time, but it was a dream. As I was preparing for you guys last week, in my office there at No Longer Bound, my six-year-old daughter, I have a six-year-old and a three-year-old, my six-year-old daughter had been drawing on my dry erase board a couple weeks back. I didn't really notice it, didn't think about it, but I was working on this and thinking about you and praying about you, where you are in your life, where you are today. And I walked past that dry erase board. Let me show you what I saw. that. Children draw what they experience. They draw what they feel. She drew a dad inside of a heart that's married to an incredible woman that has two little girls and a family surrounded in love. My vision came true. My vision came true. The second time a vision mattered because now it came true. So as Galatians 5.1 said, it's for freedom that I wanted that vision. And now I stand firm and defend it. Now I do what it takes to keep it. Every single day I show up for them. I show up for them. I show up for them. I serve them. I teach them what a servant leader is. They're not here for me. I'm here for them. I show up for it. But I needed a new vision. So in 2014, I took over No Longer Bound after our founder. So I'm 34 years old and they're like, here I go. This is crazy. I'm nowhere prepared for this, but we don't have a vision. Let's go get one. So me and a group of young leaders go and lock ourselves up in a lake house up in North Georgia. 
and we start to take a whiteboard and fill it up with dreams, attempt something so great for God that if he doesn't show up, it's destined to fail. We started, we're going to build buildings and raise millions of dollars, and men like Thatcher and Aaron and Kenny, they're going to come to this place, and they're going to be set free, and they're going to be reconciled to their families. Big dreams, big things. We kept talking about how we wanted the campus to look for them, how their homes should feel, the, the sense of worth and hope that they have when they walk into these homes. We had never raised a million dollars with that. We didn't know how to spell million, but we were dreaming. We were dreaming. We kept on referencing how we wanted these buildings to fill this place called Eagle Ranch. We said it two or three times. And then eventually somebody looks above the mantle of this rented lake house above the fireplace, and we notice there's a painting of an eagle. We're like, we didn't really see that yesterday. We've been doing this for like two days. That's, look at that. I said, I wonder, let's make an eagle the symbol of our vision. And about that time, one of my buddies pulled, pulled up his arm, he goes, I got an eagle tattooed the day before we came. I'm just like, eagles, let's go. It's the bird of freedom, and all we care about is setting these dudes free. Like, it's going to be the symbol of our vision. So on the last day, it's time to go home, and I'm terrified. I mean, I'm terrified. i got to go stand in front of people and stand on the stage and say, we're going to do this. This is, this is what we're going to do. You want to talk about taking a risk? The risk is you're going to look like an idiot, and you can't pull it off. And if God didn't show up, it wasn't going to happen. And so I was both half intimidated and inspired, and we're taking a swim out the last day up in North Georgia on a paddleboard, just sitting there kind of floating. I'm just like, God, this is crazy. Is this real? By that time, I look up, and a big bird with a white head's flying our way across the lake. And a bald eagle flies over our head and lands in the tree behind us. Turn around and stare at this eagle. He's staring at us. And I'm like, God means business. This is going to happen. This is real. He showed up. And if we believe it, that's how we'll behave. So I go home knowing already that the vision is real. And my beliefs drive our behaviors. And the product of that vision is sitting right here and sitting here. These are our, this is what it was about. So I had to look it up and see what does it mean when an eagle like shows up? Because this is real. If there wasn't somebody else there with me, I think I'd have probably been feeling like I was hallucinating. So thank God somebody else was there. Because I'm like, that was an actual eagle. I've never seen one in person. I've never seen one in real life. Surely never seen one in North Georgia. And this lake was huge. Like why this tree right here, right now, and us? So like, what does that mean? So I look it up. Here's what I found online. If an individual has been going through a hard time, the eagle not only signals a new beginning, but provides that person with the stamina and the resilience to endure the difficulties. If an eagle has appeared, it bestows freedom and courage to look ahead. <laughs> the eagle is symbolic of the importance of honesty and truthful principles. Summon the eagle when you're about to embark on a challenge, a massive life change, or a creative endeavor. Eagle people, that's you. Eagle people are seen as visionaries, those who are seekers and those who are willing to push the limits of self-discovery and personal freedom. The eagle is a spirit. It is the spirit of freedom. When you make that choice, it shows up for you. Knock and the door will be answered. Call my name and see if I don't get there. You show up and that spirit, it shows up when you need it the most. That Holy Spirit, that bird of freedom, you set yourself, you, you be willing to take the risk and you set yourself a vision and you watch and see if he doesn't show up for you. How free do we want to be? But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar 
on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and they will not faint. You are eagle people. You are his people. And he shows up for you when you need him the most. You don't settle for being a prisoner. You don't settle for being a prisoner. Don't settle for a mediocre life where it's just okay. How free do you want to be? I believe that you are bold and that you are brave and that you make the choice to no longer be a slave to fear. I'm no longer a slave. 
Child. 